Well, again, good morning. Uh, there are a lot more people here than when I told you my name last time. So my name is Amy, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and in just a few minutes, we will be baptizing Victoria Alicia and Lucy. Um, but before we do, you're going to have to sit through a sermon. Um, but kids, I actually have an invitation to you and a little secret to tell you first. So many of you don't know this, but my name is not actually Amy. It's Amanda. That's right. So my parents liked both names. They named me Amanda. They thought they'd call me Amy. And even though no one did that, no one I've ever met has done that, they just thought this is a good idea. So they call me Amy for short. My real name is Amanda. And I sometimes refer to Amanda as my alter ego. We receive mail for her at our house. She's like a more sophisticated version of me. And Anyway, both of these names, Amy and Amanda, have the same meaning. They both mean beloved. And I know that a lot of us have names that have meanings. And so I want to extend an invitation to the kids while I'm preaching to think about your own name. Do you know what your name means? Or do you know who you're named after and what they were like? And if you know those things, you might want to write your name and decorate it. You might want to draw what your name means. I want to invite you to think about your name. And then, kids, if you have already been baptized, then you are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's like the name of the family of God got joined to your own name. And so I would invite you to think about what does that mean? that you have both of those names now. You might want to try to imagine or draw or write that too. And then whatever you create in response to that, you're welcome to come and put on the prayer table up here or to show someone after the service. I would love to hear the stories of your names. And part of why I'm issuing that invitation to you is because the two girls that we will baptize in a little bit have the strongest, most incredible names. Victoria Alicia and Lucy. Victoria, of course, means victory. Lucy means light. And like me, Lucy is short for another name for Louise, which means warrior. These are really strong, excellent, appropriate names for a baptism, as we'll hear in a couple of minutes. But I'm going to preach about what baptism is. What is happening at baptism what does it mean to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? When we do that, when we say these words and we put water on these children's foreheads, what is happening? Is anything happening? Well, I'm going to tell you that something is happening at baptism. That's the main point of the sermon. If you get nothing else, something is happening. And that something is God's work. It's not our work. At baptism, in some mysterious way, the stuff of our human existence, water and skin, it participates in this bigger, unseen reality. At baptism, we dip into something that God has been doing from before the foundation of the world. We are plunged into this story that is bigger and realer and longer than ourselves, this story of good and evil, this story of death and resurrection, a story that will keep going long after we die, which is what Christians call completing our baptism. 
So let's look at what's happening from that Colossians passage that Eva Elizabeth read just a couple of moments ago. It reads, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. Now, there's a lot to take in there, but the first big thing is that baptism is like a sort of circumcision, but it's different from the circumcisions we know. It's a circumcision not performed by human hands. In other words, this circumcision is performed by God himself, and it says that in the next line, you were circumcised by Christ. Now, we heard in that Genesis reading about a circumcision that is performed by human hands. Because in that reading, God made a covenant, a promise with Abraham that he would become the father of many nations, the father of kings, and that God would be their God. He would be their good and trustworthy provider and protector. He would always be theirs. But it was this impossible promise that God was making because Abraham was really old. He was 99. His wife was also really old, and she was barren. So this was a promise that could only happen if God did something. And then God told Abraham that the sign of this promise would be circumcision for Abraham and then for every generation after him. And so at nearly 100 years old, Abraham undergoes circumcision. His circumcision marks him as part of God's people, as inside of this promise and this story. And then for generations afterward, Jewish parents would baptize, circumcise their babies as a way of saying, you are in. This promise and this story is yours. It's ours together. You are in this. So when Colossians talks about baptism being a circumcision. It's saying that now baptism is this sign to the followers of Jesus that they are in. They are inside the community of God's people. They are inside this story of the work God's doing in the world. Baptism is this new kind of circumcision, but it's one that God does himself. It's one that's not done by us. It's not done by human hands. And when we are circumcised by God himself at baptism, Colossians says that our old self ruled by the flesh is buried with Christ. And ruled by the flesh in the book of Colossians is just sort of shorthand for being sinful. And we are all sinful. We are all at times greedy or selfish unloving and deceitful. We all fail to moment by moment trust God the way we should, to receive God's love that's offered to us, and we opt so often to just fend for ourselves in a world of evil, to kind of do what it takes to get what's ours. But in baptism, this passage tells us that sinful humanity is bound to Christ's perfect humanity, to God himself in human flesh, in the person of Jesus. We are bound to God with us. God doesn't stand at this aloof distance from his creation and just watch us sort of work it out and destroy one another and ourselves. 
God becomes one of us. He steps into humanity. He takes on flesh, and he goes all the way into the depths of human weakness and human sorrow and pain and suffering, all the way to that ultimate enemy of humanity, to death itself. And we join with Christ in that, in baptism. We go with Christ to the depths. We are buried with Christ. And then, having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Then we are raised to the heights with Christ. We are resurrected. We are reborn. Our humanity participates in Christ's divine life, where he is remaking the world where he, as that passage tells us, holds authority over all things, our humanity is restored to what it was always meant to be, this profound union with God, this life with God, a life inside and with the love of God for us. And that's what it means when Colossians says, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. And all this, says Colossians, all of this is the working of God. Only God can form this union between us and him. Only God can raise life from the dead. Well, a few years ago, my husband Trent and I and a couple friends, we were visiting some friends of ours uh, who ran this little farm and retreat center outside the town of Selchuk, Turkey. Um, and you might know that Selchuk, as legend holds, is where John, Jesus' beloved disciple, wrote his gospel. And there's an old church that was built about 1,500 years ago on the site where supposedly John went up this hill, sat down, and wrote his gospel. That church is now in ruins. There are stray cats everywhere. There are hungry dogs. There are poppies growing up through the cracks in all the stones. But you can still see the outline of this ancient church. And one of the things that really moved me in this place was you can still see the baptismal. It is in the ground. It's dug out in the shape of a cross. It is really deep. It looks like a grave. And back when this church was home to a living, breathing, worshiping community and was not just poppies and rocks and stray cats, they would fill this baptismal with water. And the candidates for baptism would strip naked. That's why men and women were baptized separately back then. But to signify their solidarity with Christ's humanity, to signify by their nakedness that they were stepping into Christ's nakedness and humiliation on the Christ on the cross, stepping into his poverty, stepping into his life of service where he stripped his garments and washed their feet. And then they would, naked, step down into this watery grave with the water coming up like to their chest. And then they would hear the same words of the baptism liturgy that we will say in a few minutes. These words haven't changed much in 2,000 years. They'd hear these same words, and then they would come out the other side, naked and dripping wet, like they had just been born. 
It's this powerful picture of how closely they identified with Christ's death and resurrection in baptism. And it was a powerful experience for me and for Trent to step through that baptismal ourselves all these years later, fully clothed, but to realize that my baptism dips me into that same story, that same death and resurrection, the same story that the church has been part of for 2,000 years. And in a few minutes, Victoria Alicia and Lucy will dip into that story too, and our process is a little more tame than that baptismal in ancient Selchuk, but it points to this same reality, that God is overturning human sin and evil and even death itself, that God is cleansing and remaking us. He's cleansing the sin and the evil that clings to us, that God is leading us out of the depths and into new life in him, that God is restoring us to what we were always made for, these lives in loving union with him. All of this is God's work. We don't earn it. We don't contribute to it. We barely even understand it. It is a miracle and a mystery and a gift. And we see this so clearly in the baptism of babies. Now, we don't only baptize babies here. We will also baptize older people who make a profession of faith. But there is something about baptizing babies that show us that participating in the life that God is offering to us is not a matter of what we can do or how well we can do it or say it. God doesn't wait to pour out his grace on us until we learn to behave or until we've reached some level of intellectual cognitive assent to the correct theological details. God doesn't even wait until we can walk. Babies show us we can't get to baptism on our own, independently of the community. Babies are carried to the water. Someone else plunges them into Christ's death and resurrection. Babies are surrounded and supported by a community that loves them, that makes promises to them and for them, that promises to help them all their lives to grow more and more into this story that they have been dipped into. And to me, that is the most compelling reason we baptize babies, because when we come to baptism, we are all babies. Baptism is God's work. Now, there are other reasons for baptizing babies. I don't want to get deeply into them, but I will just name them here, and then if you would like resources or you want to talk about this more, by all means, uh, talk to me later. But uh, the New Testament implies that infants are included in these household baptisms that you see all through the book of Acts. And even without it stating clearly that babies were included in there, we do have the record of the earliest Christian writings going back all the way to the second century, that the practice and pattern of the church almost universally for most of its life on this earth has been to baptize babies. And that makes sense if you think back to baptism as a type of circumcision, because circumcision wasn't something Jewish children chose for themselves. It was something their community chose for them and brought them to. It was the way their family marked them as in this story. 
a story that they would spend their lives living out together. Well, I want to close just reflecting on what this means for us as the baptizing community at Incarnation, the community that will surround Lucy and Victoria Alicia and make promises to them. And I love this quote from the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams. He says, Baptism is a ceremony in which we are washed, cleansed, and recreated. It's also a ceremony in which we are pushed into the middle of a human situation that might hurt us, that will not leave us untouched or unsullied. And the gathering of baptized people is therefore not a convocation of those who are privileged, elite, and separate but of those who have accepted what it means to be in the heart of a needy, contaminated, and messy world. To put it another way, you don't go down into the waters of the Jordan without stirring up a great deal of mud. And so I want to ask us today, is our church in contact with that mud? Are we willing to go with Christ into the mess of humanity? our own, and the humanity of the world around us? How can we welcome the most vulnerable into this baptism life that we share? Baptism shows us maybe more clearly than anything else that the people of God, the church community, is not about how well we behave or how much we intellectually understand When we gather on Sunday mornings, it's not just so we can take in information. It's not just so we can listen to a nice, quiet sermon, especially here sometimes. It's not so we can watch a nice musical performance. We gather to actually practice being the community of the baptized. We practice here making space for human frailty around God's table. We practice sharing our weakness And we practice sharing this profound union that we have together with Christ and with one another. And we practice resurrection. We tell a different story, a story of victory over death and light shining in darkness, a story of a world that is being made new in Christ. So we'll enter a time of silence now before these baptisms. I would invite you to use this time to ask yourself those questions, to meditate on your own baptism, to give God thanks, or to ask God if he is leading you toward baptism, and then especially to pray for these little girls. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of baptism. Thank you for Victoria Alicia and for Lucy. Thank you for the ways they will bear witness to your victory and your light. Would you help us to remember our own baptisms and to live as baptized people? Amen.